Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is upon us once more. We've also got a baseball preview with Colin Brister. That's right, the baseball previews are back. Who would have thought we'd have been in this position uh, in late May as of a couple weeks ago? But, you know, the Rebels are very much alive heading into uh, Baton Rouge this weekend, coming off a uh, really clean and well-played midweek win at a very good Southern Miss club who, granted, not playing their best baseball right now, but still still a team that's been in line to host for most of the year. So Colin and I got into a lot of, Uh, different things what Ole Miss needs to do to make the postseason kind of rehashing that where their RPI stands after the win and uh, really some less tangible things Um, like we both kind of had the observation this team just looked different looked more confident on Wednesday night in Southern uh, in Hattiesburg against Southern Miss Um, one of those things harder to articulate but I thought it was true I don't know how many times does Ole Miss go in and lose that game nine to three because they have a terrible night at the plate and midweek pitching doesn't hold up something just looked different about them there's no margin for error it may end up being meaningless but you know as Colin says don't let this team get hot who's to see anyway got a lot of that then we'll uh, we'll get to your mailbag questions after Colin Brister and then uh, that'll close out a great Friday show if you missed it we uh, didn't do a midweek podcast because uh, Chase Colin and I did a three-way show Nice, nothing like a little three-way action, a snake draft of uh, all-time Mike Bianco team. So we drafted a team, 10 hitters, four pitchers, and a bench guy. Yeah, 10 hitters, four pitchers, and a bench guy. No, excuse me, 10, I can't do this today. 10 hitters, five pitchers, and a bench guy. There we go. Um, from any, any player of any Mike Bianco team for our all-time Bianco era team. So you can catch that on the Rebel Grove um, Oxford Exxon podcast feed. But uh, that was the reason for no midweek show. All right, here's Mailbag Friday. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You need to go check these guys out. Just because March Madness ended doesn't mean they're slowing down. They've got the NBA playoff package on the site. They predicted six straight outright weight, outright race winners in NASCAR, that seems pretty good. They got the MLB package in the works, all kinds of different stuff going on at Skybox. If you're into sports wagering, you need to check these guys out. They're going to lead you to profit way more consistently than your own brain. These guys are the professionals. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, adding to the scaries already, asking you to square up. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is. Skybox is going to do that for you more consistently than anyone in the industry. When you do business with Skybox, it's an investment because they're going to make you money. It's kind of how this works. So, Check them out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. Whether, whatever sport, however long you want to try it, I'd recommend just going with the year-long all-access, all-picks pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. But uh, if you're looking for something a little more in the middle, whether it's week-long, month-long, they're going to have it. Go check them out on the site. Find your picks package. And when you do, use their promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off whatever you purchase. And that'll also let them know we sent you. So please do that. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week, plus discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip with the $5 pack of sausage. That's a 16-ounce prime strip for $20. I was about to say that. I was about to have, have Greg on the hook for some 
some pre, free prime strips. I don't, I don't think you want that. So anyway, 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks, $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Then go find your own favorites. Weather's getting warmer. Uh, grilling season is here in full swing. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. If he doesn't have something, he will get it for you, but they've got all kinds of great cuts there. Delicious sausages, fresh seafood, awesome sides. You need to go find your own favorites. It is truly a uh, gem of the town there in Oxford, and uh, I can't wait to get back there and get some LBs. Check them out, LBs University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on an important series for you know, Ole Miss and LSU and what to make of the midweek win against Southern. We recorded this right after Ole Miss won the game on Wednesday night. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister, who is all over the, uh, the Rebel Grove podcast Rolodex um, these days all across the network. We are recording this in the literal, literal minutes after Ole Miss's 4-1 to win in Hattiesburg over 14-ranked Southern Miss. We also are recording this about an hour or so after, maybe a little less, you, me, and Chase got all uh, got together on a podcast and did a snake draft of our lineup, 10 hitters, four pitchers, or excuse me, 11 hitters, four pitchers from Mike Bianco, any of Mike Bianco's teams. That'll be out by the time everyone's listening to this, so we're not playing spoilers here. That was a lot of fun. So I, I, I was worried about this after that podcast ended. Did, did you pick Drew Pomerantz? Yes, I did. Okay, thank God. I was I was stressed that like someone how we had forgotten him, um, so I was I'm thankful that that someone picked Drew Pomerantz because I think we would just probably get turned off after that. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Very I'm currently cool. watching Ole Miss softball. I just can't get enough Ole Miss baseball and softball right now in me. Hey, there you go. At least they're uh, they're winning. And so, like, the, as far as the snake draft, I was I wouldn't say worried, but like going in, I was like, okay. Chase is older. He's covered a lot of these teams. You have a much better memory and have kept up for Ole Miss baseball longer than I am. Because, like, for me, past, like, 20 – I mean, look, the Omaha team happened when I was a freshman in college. And I was into Ole Miss baseball for that. Like, early, though, past 20 – like, earlier in 2011, I don't have a great recollection because of my age and because when I was a kid, I didn't pay as close attention to baseball as I did football and basketball. I knew they were good, but I just wasn't really into it. And then, of course, I start working in 15, and, you know, the rest, I have a pretty good knowledge of Ole Miss baseball from 2013 or so on. We started working in 15, the rest is history. But, like, I was worried about some of the older guys that I mightn't have gotten wrong. Honestly, it took me a while to remember guys like Overbeck and Petway where they played predominantly. I kind of had a general <laughs> idea, but I was worried. But I felt like my roster came out okay. I felt no, like your roster was solid. Right. The, the Servideo pick at second was uh, pretty solid because – I think Chase and I picked the two best ones, and I'm like, I don't know where Brian will go after this. And then I, I didn't consider that Servideo was a second baseman. Well, I had him written down to go as a shortstop just to make the point about him possibly being the best shortstop of the last, I don't know, arrow on. Um, maybe go for that. But then y'all, well, y'all gave it away because y'all were like, well, you know, this is not a position. Uh, this is not a position, uh, a deep position for Mike, second base, you know, in his tenure. And I was like, oh, I'm about to find a loophole. So. <laughs> <laughs> We've done it. That was a uh, a lot of fun. If you have not caught that podcast by chance, it is on the Rebel Grove feed. That is most of the reason why uh, this podcast did not have a midweek show. We just went the Monday, and this will be Thursday night, Friday. Um, you and I have much to talk about because Ole Miss won a baseball game on the road against a good team. Um, yeah. I, have they done that this year? Have they beaten a good team on the road this year? No. Like I, as I'm sitting here looking at their schedule. 
Uh, I don't think UCF is any good. No, RPI of 90. Um, Auburn, 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 yeah. Auburn, Auburn, yeah, Auburn, there we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Boy, if I had told you after almost one, two, three at Auburn, this was going to be the result, you'd be like, are you on drugs? So, yes, on the surface, but if you remember back at the time, look, I didn't when they scored 18 runs and 19 runs or whatever it was in the game one and three, I didn't think they were going to be anywhere close to this bad. But do you remember at the time, you knew the pit starting pitching was insane. Well, I'll put it to you this way. They won two or three at Auburn back when we thought Auburn probably wasn't going to be that good. And I remember thinking, this isn't perfect. They'll probably be fine, but this isn't perfect. Now, did I think it'd be 10 and 14 with two weeks ago? Absolutely not. But you could start to see the seeds of the flaws starting with SEC play, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the Tennessee thing happened, and it cut, took us a couple of weeks to, like, realize, um, you know, that Tennessee was different. And, and then you win the series at Kentucky, and you're like, well, they're okay. I know the Tennessee thing sucked, but, you know, Tennessee did swept Vanderbilt that weekend. You're like, maybe Tennessee's just that good. And then you get swept at home in Alabama, and I think that's when everybody goes, oh, shit, there's a problem. Yes, absolutely. And that was the are they trying effort thing. And then you got a little mix of that, and maybe they're just not good at all against South Carolina. <laughs> and then State pretty much confirmed that, okay, maybe these guys just aren't good. Now we're back on the upswing. The roller coaster is on the up now again, miraculously enough. You know, five days ago, well, I guess as most people are listening to this, actually, it will be six and a half to seven days ago. The Ole Miss Rebels were seven and 14. Now they're 10 and 14 with the midweek win over a top 15 team. And for my money, probably a top 10 team in the country in Southern Miss with Little room for error, but they are as alive as ever. And honestly, I I was hesitant on the Sunday show to kind of go all the way to, man, let this team get hot and get in the postseason. But that's a great lead in this game. With the way they played tonight and the clean game they played tonight and the way it looked, look, I'm not going to buy into them making a run or anything, but I'm kind of starting to buy in onto their chances of making the postseason. Thoughts? I'm closer tonight than I've been in a long time. Um, look, so here's the thing, right? Um, I don't think either of us think that, you know, Drew McDaniels had a great year, right? But they just had to go win a baseball game tonight because they put themselves in this situation where tonight was massively important and they did. And it just felt like for the first time, like, Hey, there's pretty big stakes on this. And, And they went and got it done against a good baseball team. Since the Auburn series, it doesn't feel like that's happened. Um, you know, uh, the, the Missouri State is notwithstanding, that's not a good baseball team. But every time Ole Miss played a good team and something was on the line, like you talk about um, Arkansas in a game two or a game three. You talk about, you know, a Tennessee in, on a Sunday when you need to get one to just salvage your weekend. And they couldn't get it done. And I know this isn't an SEC opponent, but I promise you, Southern Miss is a very, very good baseball team. And there was a lot on the line tonight from an RPI standpoint, from a you need a top 25 win on your resume standpoint. And, and they went into a hostile environment against a really good lineup with a guy that's been up and down on the mound, and they gave up one run, they played clean baseball, and they won the baseball game. Um, extremely, extremely, extremely impressive win tonight. Look, I'm not ready to buy into like, hey, uh, this team's making the postseason just yet. 
But I can tell you this team looks a lot different than it did when Mississippi State walked them off a couple – or not walked them off, but when they beat them in Oxford on a Saturday a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and even to take it a week further, the Arkansas, where, you know, you had the, one of the worst disgraces of situational hitting ever yeah. I've ever seen. And they just kind of looked dejected and defeated after that. I mean, look, we're saying two different versions of the same thing, right? Your, your, your example is great. It's exactly right. But you're right. It, it looked different tonight. And I, it was funny. We can finish each other's sentences plenty of times on this podcast. But, like, we hopped on. Uh, right before we started recording this, and we'd you know it'd been about an hour since we hopped off the other podcast, and I had a note written down that I kind of I think I wrote this down in the eighth inning and kind of confirmed it in the ninth when Johnson allowed two guys on, and it didn't seem like they got tight. And I know that sounds stupid, but like they didn't look like they panicked at all. They were kind of just still engaged in the moment. I don't know. It's just it's felt and looked at times when they're under scrutiny, particularly in the field that they're just kind of waiting on something bad to happen. But instead, yeah. they made two sound, clean defensive plays, or I guess one with the pop-up in the shallow outfield. Brendan Johnson got a little bit lucky with that call off the plate. But you get my point. They didn't really panic, and they kind of stayed engaged in the moment. And you can tell it felt big for them after the second out when uh, Johnson got – the second out in the ninth inning when Johnson got the friendly call from the home plate umpire. I mean – Mike Bianco gave a fist pump that made it look like he was throwing like an undercut to my face, to be honest. Like, I mean, it was, he was, he was, uh, he was pumped and they were engaged in it too. You could tell it felt they were a big, it was a big game for them. And you're thinking, of course, late May game against a ranked opponent when you have no more of Of course, it's big. But the point that they're still invested and still believe they kind of have a shot at this thing is what I felt tonight. Yeah, no. Um, really, really good performance. And man, that's the thing. Like, they got it from different dudes on the mound. When you talk about a Jackson Kimbrell and a Josh Mallett, they were good. And, and I don't – people shouldn't underplay how good the Southern Miss team is. I don't know if y'all remember last year, uh, they gave – they almost gave me a heart attack on two, two separate days in June in Oxford last year. This is a very good team that Ole Miss, with some guys that have not thrown a lot of innings this year, shut down. Now – could you say, well, they scored four runs? Yeah, they did, but I thought they were a little unlucky at times. Um, you know, I, I, I thought it was one of their most impressive games of the year, quite frankly. I did too, and just I just realized I didn't finish the, uh, as I always do on this show, finish the thought from earlier when I was talking about it looking different. I wrote down that, like, they kind of look different and more confident. We started – we hopped on the Zoom right before we started recording, and you said without me saying anything – they kind of look different. What do you mean by that? Because I'd like to add some color to it afterward. They look like they believed in themselves for the first time in a long time. I, I, that, that's what it looked like to me. Like when, when Johnson strikes the kid out and, and then the next pitch Dickerson pops up, to, I believe it was Chattanooga. Just for the first time in a long time, it looked like the dudes on the mound looked like, hey, we're supposed to win this. Or the dudes in the field, it was like, hey, we're, we're supposed to win this. We're good. And, and to their credit, for the first time against a good team on the road outside of Auburn, they, they did it. Um, it. It just felt different. And I don't know if I can put that in exact words, but I swear just watching them and watching body language and whatnot for nine innings tonight. And, and I'm not a guy, I'll be honest with you, with our season, I'm not, I've watched the least amount of Ole Miss baseball that I've watched in a long time. But I could tell just, just when they were going through some stuff, there were some body language issues from certain guys. And I'm not going to get into a soapbox of who, but I, 
it just looked different. They looked like they were playing with confidence, and I'm not sure I'd seen that team in a long time. Now, look, it's a long road to go if they want to get into the postseason. They put themselves in a hole. But if they played this well this weekend, they have a shot. And, and after you consider you got swept at home twice, you've lost three or four home SEC series, that's about all you can ask for. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you talked about the, you know, they just haven't won a home or road aside. They just haven't won a game when it mattered. Like, you know, one, whether it's salvaging one at Tennessee or something like that, an important game that felt important to the trajectory of their season, whether it's a avoiding a sweep, going for a sweep, or a season uh, – or a or uh, salvaging a game, or excuse me, winning a series. You brought up that point in complete since Auburn. Complete fairness, dude. They've only won two series since. Like the, the only series they have won since the Auburn series are Kentucky and Missouri. And so, like you're exactly right because each time there has been an opportunity, and you know they had four weeks in a row of what? Delusia wins the Friday, or is it three weeks? South Carolina, um, State, State, and Arkansas, where yeah. Delusia wins the Friday night game and. They have every opportunity to take control of all three of those series, right? The Saturday game – excuse me, game two against South Carolina, Carolina. The weekend. They don't take advantage of the opportunities early, and then obviously, you know, the sun, the game three happens. Same thing with State. They go back-to-back home runs in size. The game two, don't capitalize. The Sunday game happens. And then obviously, you know, the debacle that was Arkansas. I feel like that's still fresh on most people's minds. They don't capitalize on the opportunity. And, like – you bring up the they believed in themselves and I don't know how to describe it type thing. Sometimes you can just tell, and it's hard to quantify or hard to articulate or point to something. It's like, here's why I can tell. Sometimes you can just tell. The way the team carried themselves in those three series compared to the way they carried themselves in a game like tonight, and make no mistake about it, this game mattered a bunch, is different. And look, I'm not hopping fully back on the train, and I hate to go there with this, but the only other recent comparison I could make was like, that 2019 team, and I know we go back to it, and I'm not predicting the same run, so please don't consider these one-to-one comparisons if you're out there listening. It's not. But there became a point when they won the last game against Tennessee. That wasn't really evident. It was like, man, like how? remember we were going on the podcast, like literally just repeating the same thing back and forth to each other. How is this team so bad they're not supposed to suck? I don't understand it. And at that time, it was like, all right, Mike's gone. Ross is going to make a decision, blah, blah, blah. Well, they win that first game against Hoover, and then they get the one nothing gym against A&M for the KZ. And somewhere in that game, it started to turn. You had yep. the dugout antics, the only – we're only wearing powder blue. Now that's fine. It kind of like little seeds to what I'm getting at. They started to believe in themselves that Wednesday or so at Hoover, and then by that Saturday, honest to God, they look like a completely different baseball team. I don't know if that happens at Alex Box this weekend, but the seeds are similar if that makes any sense. I think that's what we find out, right? Um, sure. I, I think this week – look, Southern is – and I stand by this. They are a good baseball team. They're not playing particularly well right now. Um, but, but two things on that. Yeah, I, I think this weekend is what we find out. It's like, hey, Ole Miss, did Ole Miss take advantage of a and, – and, and your uh, old coworker, Michael Borky, just tweeted this out. That's a fair point. Did Ole Miss take advantage of a bad Missouri team and a Southern Miss team that's struggling? We'll see. But I can tell you this. The, the Ole Miss team from three weeks ago, it didn't matter if Missouri was bad and Southern Miss was struggling. That team wasn't going 4-0 in that stretch. Um, so I think two things can be true at once. And I think tonight, um, especially with Mississippi State being out of the postseason, tonight is why I want this team to make a regional so bad. 
because they were probably going to Hattiesburg and they could cause hell in Hattiesburg. Um, I, I just look, I, I want this team that, that was, you know, lauded as being one of the, the best offenses that, that, that Mike's ever had. Um, and it certainly not turned out that way. I'd like them to get the chance in the postseason to try and figure it out in a place in Pete Taylor Park, probably, uh, that plays offensive and, and against the, I mean, I'll say it, this will piss some people off, against the CUSA team as the one seed. I'd really like Ole Miss to get that opportunity. I just want to see it, too. And obviously, like you mentioned, it would help in the CSA team, CUSA ballpark. Look, I think Southern's really good uh, as well. But, like, you know, multiple things can be true at once. I think that would be easier than going to – I don't even know what a great example would be. Florida State. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, that, it would be much easier than something like that. And then, like, didn't a game like tonight kind of have the feel of a two or a three seed having to play a super clean baseball game and get a good pitching and bullpen performance to beat the one to take control of a regional? Like, sort of, yeah. Yeah, like, that, like that's a, that tonight is the type of game. And yes, Southern would have had a different arm going on the mound, but, you know, so would Ole Miss. It would have possibly been Dylan Delucia. But just in terms of the way they played it, they got down one nothing early. They're t- look, they're proving your stat wrong, pal. <laughs> They've now won three games in their last four where they've been trailing. Granted, it's been one nothing in the first two innings, but, hey, facts only on this podcast. But you get the point. Like, it's just – I don't know. That felt like a type of game that they would have to win, like the type of game they'd have to play to win against a one seed on a Saturday in a regional. I don't know if it gets there. Who knows? I'm just pointing out that, I don't know, at this point in the year, as bad as they were defensively, as bad as they were to situational hitting, I didn't know they had a game like that in them with their midweek starter on the mound to play that clean. And to really just, Southern Miss played okay, I thought, in this game. They're not playing well right now. They're off a series loss of Old Dominion. I didn't think Southern Miss was awful in this game. I thought their starter was pretty good. Ole Miss was just kind of better. Yeah, no, that's exactly the way to put it. Ole Miss was just kind of better tonight. And credit to those those kids for – look, there was there was a time in this season, especially after Mississippi State, where, where, where they could have laid down. And surely after the two games at Arkansas, they could have quit. Um, and, look, I'm not going to give a whole bunch of credit to, to a bunch of kids that are playing for a, one of the – one of the most uh, – well, let's put it this way. A top 25 program in college baseball. I'm not going to give them a whole bunch of credit for continuing to play hard. But they did have the option to not. And, and, and they, they've taken on themselves that they're going to keep fighting and, and good for them. And I, I hope – I really, really hope that this weekend goes well. Um, because, man, if it does, if somehow they leave this week at 3-1 and one or somehow 4-0, and oh, and that's not going to happen, I understand that. Um, the four and zero part, but if somehow they win two, like all of a sudden you're coming home to Texas A and M on the last weekend of the year, um, with a real, real shot, and maybe a fan base that believes in the team a little bit more. And and I'm getting a little ahead of myself because we're gonna, I'm gonna have to wait to see that to believe it. But they've got a shot to kind of rejuvenate themselves for sure. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm with you. It's a you know, as, without going too over the top and kind of fully back buying, buying back in, I'm on the precipice. I have the credit card. I'm close. Out. Yeah, I'm, I have the credit card out. And let's be clear on what buying back in means. It means their chance to make a uh, right to make a regional and potentially be a threat in a regional. Because I do think if they get there with the just sheer talent they have on the roster, they are a threat. I don't think there's any regional they well, can go to where they have. Well, I say that. I don't think there's very many regions they could go to where they have zero chance. Well, I mean, you can't go to Tennessee, so that helps. 
Yeah, um, exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at. They wouldn't be in an SEC regional. So right. And and look, man, we've said it. Look, this is the this is the thing, right? There's, well, two things. There's always this team um, that underachieves throughout the year, and they sneak in a dang um, regional, and then all of a sudden it's like, how in the hell is that team in Omaha? Or how is that team in a super regional? Look at a team like maybe Virginia last year, right? Uh, that's a three seed that should have been a lot better than what they were, and then all of a sudden they're in a super regional. They went in the South Carolina regional, and they end up in Omaha. They underachieved for about 58 games, and then all of a sudden they figure it out in the postseason. That, that, that happens. Um, and if you're Ole Miss, man, the hope is just that that team this year is you. Um, how, how ironic it would be, right, that the year that everything's on the line, they underachieve in the regular season, which for all Mike Bianco's flaws hardly ever happens, and then overachieve when it comes to June. Am I predicting that? No, but the the amount of irony that would come in that would be hilarious. Yes, it would. And you're right. I'm glad you went there about this happens every year. There's at least one team and sometimes multiple teams that kind of have a disastrous uh, regular season. Hell, look at NC State. Um, last sure. year, I know that's a little bit of a different example. Did they host? Did Raleigh get a regional? No, they, they went to Ruston and won the regional. That's exactly what it was. It, remember, they had a disastrous regional. There was a point I was listening to. I was watching an NC State game earlier this year, and they were the announcers. I don't remember which game or who it was, but the announcers were. They did, I thought they did a good job outlining of just how bad it got in mid-April for NC State. And then, of course, NC State was a COVID thing away from probably playing for a national title. I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying that this happens every year in this sport. I think Ole Miss fans are – I don't want to – look, I'm not going to insult anyone's intelligence out there and say Ole Miss fans don't understand that. Ole Miss has never been that team, but it's sure. not that uncommon in college baseball, right? Like Ole Miss has always had super good teams that have choked or teams that have been bad – that either didn't make the postseason, all only been two of them, or you know, two or three seeds that you did you knew weren't very good and never really threatened outside of 2012. And so, I guess what I'm getting at is, it's never been Ole Miss in the Bianco era, but era, but this is not that uncommon in college baseball, like you just mentioned, to have a team that is super underachieving and then get in a regional and make some noise because they finally figured it out three and a half months in. It happens. Yeah. More than you think states so, done it so, like twice in the last half decade. Sure. So couple of things on that like yeah it's it's not that uncommon it's and and in completely fairness to Ole Miss fans I understand the reasoning and not believing in that um it's kind of like you know last year when Ole Miss has to play the uh game on Monday against Southern Miss that's normal to like literally everyone else nobody else nobody other anybody besides Ole Miss's fan base is not like freaking out like there's words and Ole Miss is doing it for good reason um but like Good teams go to Monday all the time. They just win the game. But but Ole Miss fans on that Sunday night had conceded the regional. And I got it. I understand why because of the, the lack of performance in the postseason. Um, it's just kind of crazy uh, where, where this team is at. It's uh, – look, if this team gets in, right, If two things. If, if they get in, if you're a guy like Tim Elko or a guy like Kevin Graham or a guy like Justin Bench, you just take a breath. It's like, all right, we're here. We got in. We've got a shot. All we got to do is win baseball games, and we're good enough to do that. And then, like, if I'm Southern Miss or if I'm Florida State, I don't even know if they're in line to host, or if I'm someone of that like, and you send me Ole Miss, I'm going to be like, what the hell? 
Like, you're, you're going to send me the team that should have been a host all year but underachieved. Um, I, look, there are power five teams every year that you want in your regional, like Clemson in 2019 and Illinois in 2019. Um, Ole Miss, I do not believe, would be one of those power five teams you want to show up on your side of the bracket. I would certainly agree with that notion, absolutely, and you're right. And it's like you mentioned Borky made a good point. I did see a quote tweet from uh, my guy Brendan Chapman, who I like a lot, but he said this is what, quote, they remember November stuff did that kept Houston not at Arkansas for 10 years. That really just doesn't make any sense. Like these games, like that's insinuating that the games are meaningless. These aren't meaningless. This is a different sport. It's you get in and see what happens. And you mentioned – Justin Bench or Kevin Graham just taking a deep breath and saying, okay, we're in. That was State in 18 at FSU. Remember, they had to sweep Florida just to get in uh, the last week of the regular season. And then look what happened. And I'm not – again, I'm not predicting this team goes on a run and saying, look, they did it. Ole Miss will do it too. The point is, if you get in, you got a shot. And that's what this sport is kind of about. And I feel like Ole Miss fans are jaded in that sense because you brought up the Monday – the Southern Miss game last year going to Monday and Ole Miss fans being like, oh, shit, here we go again. But, like, college baseball is a sport that produces so much weirdness and so I don't want to say so much randomness, but a decent bit of randomness to make it very kind of exciting and unpredictable. It's just that Ole Miss has been on the wrong side of what seemed like certainty so many times that they want, like, a certainty. They want to go two and through – or they want to go yeah. in three games in a regional and two in a super and it just be a cakewalk, which most teams that make it to Omaha, it's rarely a cakewalk. There's usually some cardi- cathartic and cardiac, like, kid-type sure. moves. Sure. I mean, you're talking about a sport where the best overall team or the one overall seed hasn't won it in, like, 20 years. Um, it's, it's the most random sport um, from a college perspective that there is. And, uh, you know, it's – it's look, you just hope if you're an Ole Miss fan or, or this team that um, that they figured out. And, and I saw some people on Twitter tonight, and, and then I saw it last week, and it's like, you know, they would say, well, you know, Mike, Mike's got to get to Omaha to save his job. And it's like, what, do you want this team to get to – yes! Like, I would – why the hell would you not want a team to get to the College World Series? I, I you know – there are some fans that are so dead set on firing Mike, and I and, and then I I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just not that way. If 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 it's me, I, do I get to do, would I want to Ole Miss to start a new era, or do I want to watch them play in TD TD Ameritrade? It's easily the latter for that one. Isn't this the first time you're probably going to get an A or B result? In a lot of ways, this Feels could like be it. one of the most freeing postseasons for um for uh scarred tissue Ole Miss fan. I was trying to think of another one, just scarred Ole Miss fans, because if they do get in, then it's like, okay, well, they either make it to Omaha or you probably get a change. Is there some middle ground where they make to, to assume? I don't really think so, though. Is there? I don't know. With the way this season has played out, I lean no. Because you've got to at least host, right, if you're going to do the win the regional, lose a super. you, you got to at least play that, that regional in Oxford, and that's not going to happen. Right, because you can't point to the model of consistency thing, right? Like, look, we're right there. We're just not getting it done in the postseason to where you just had a hot run after a disaster season. That's where I tend to lean with you. But I'll leave the possibility open. But to your to adding on to what you're talking about, like the to finish the point, it's like you either get to Omaha or you get the new beginning. So I imagine if you're like if you're an old Miss fan, you're just like, I don't know. I would be sitting there looking at it and being like, okay, like this is kind of fun. Let's just see how far it goes. And if not, you're gonna get a new coach, is basically. I mean, 
Is there anyone that's going to be throughout this Ole Miss postseason sitting on pins and needles? Uh, if they get to like where they're a win from Omaha, I'll I'll be pretty pretty nervous. But past that, no. Fair enough. Will it be in the same way it's been in years past? You know what I mean? I feel like that almost be a different kind of it. So yeah, I, no, that's fair. That's fair because like the last whatever times when they're playing to go to the College World Series, you know they're more on the line, right? Like you know, five legacy and all that is on the line. Um, and this year it's either he's getting it done or it's probably over. How hellacious that would be if, man, they're playing a game three and, hell, I don't know, uh, Texas to, with a super regional or, excuse me, an Omaha trip on the line for everyone involved. Uh, yeah, and then to uh, – I was trying to think of some sort of poetic justice to just add the cherry on top to that scene. Josh Mallett's is closing it out because Brandon Johnson threw 60 pitches the day before. <laughs> so <laughs> – now that we, uh, now that we have both predicted this team goes to Omaha and probably wins the national title, <laughs> let's figure out what uh what they hear up against this weekend. But in all seriousness, to kind of put a bow on that conversation, it's I, we've both been clear. Is I feel like we look they just won a big game on Wednesday. Like they deserve a little on a Wednesday on their way down to Baton Rouge to play LSU. They deserve a little bit of praise in that sense. Um, I wouldn't say we're both bought in. Like we just mentioned, we're kind of close. Because if they win two at LSU, then it's kind of like, okay, they're close to making the postseason. So and well, then if they win two at LSU, they're two wins away from Ox in Oxford. From I don't really know if Hoover overly matters at that point. Obviously, you'd want to win a game on Tuesday to not, you know, fall off the bubble. But, man, if they win these next two series, I just kind of think they're going to get in. Um, and maybe I'm crazy on that, but I just feel like you get, you know, five top 25 wins from Southern LSU and A&M and um, you're a 14 and 16, really 15 and 16 team going to Hoover and your RPI probably at that point is low 40s, high 30s. I just, you're probably just in at that point. You know, I think if they win the next two series, they're in regardless of what happens in Hoover. I don't know that. Weirder things have happened. Um, as we talked about a little bit on the Sunday show, uh, but I, I do I think they're in. That would be 15 and 16, including the Governor's Cup. Even if they went one and one and done in Hoover, that'd be 15 and 17. I don't necessarily see how that doesn't get them in. I would be there. Um, just to bring uh, the RPI part of it into it, Ole Miss is now 49th in the RPI. That brought them to 49th. Um, so I wrote a newsletter on Tuesday evening. It was one that was about three days in the works. I had a bunch of work stuff that. I started that one on Sunday night and finished it on Tuesday night. Um, maybe I'm going insane. I swear to God, I pulled up my computer last night. And Ole Miss's RPI jumped from 56 to 53 without playing a game. Well, like, yeah, I mean, somebody loses a game and they fall behind them. Okay, but Warren Nolan said on the side that, like, you know, they have the where the, how many spots it jumped plus seven. That's got to be by the day, right? I'm not it's crazy because by- before the game it said that Ole Miss hadn't moved at all. So it, it says what now? So like Ole Miss went back to 56. I went back to look it up tonight before the end of the Southern Miss game and they were back at uh-huh. 56. Now it says plus seven in like a green or yellow. So what I think that is, and I could be wrong on this, um, I think it might be where they started the week at. I, I don't know. I know okay. last year it was like that, but I could be wrong on it this year. I hadn't paid as much attention this year. 
that would make sense. I was just making sure I wasn't going completely insane because I was like, oh, man, because it was back at 56 where they started the week, like you just pointed out. And I swear it said 53 last night, and maybe I was just losing my mind. But anyway, that's not the point. They're at 49. And so, I mean, look, you get two wins at LSU, that's probably creeping you up in the 40. 40. I was going to go 41, 42 ish. Yeah. Somewhere. Two at AM, two against AM, that's 38. So I think that probably is enough to get them in. And, you know, it's a tall task. It's, a, you know, we, we, we kind of outlined, we, we intentionally, I'd say, got ahead of ourselves for the sake of the discussion on this. It starts this weekend. Like, the prove it, like, you know, like, like let people buy back in. Like, can you prove to people that they should buy back in? That happens this weekend against the LSU Tigers, who are 14 and 10 on the season, on the precipice of hosting. Is it look? I think LSU is a good team. I think they are pretty offensively driven. I think they have a fairly average rotation. Seems like the bullpen's been a bit up and down, and they've been atrocious at times defensively. Without sounding all cheery and too optimistic, it does sound. It does seem like a gettable series. This is not them going to Knoxville or Athens, even or something like that. This feels a little more gettable because. Uh, LSU has been both susceptible defensively and their rotation has not been overly dominant as well. So Your initial LSU just feels like Ole Miss that has played better. Does that make sense? Yes. Like they don't, 14 and 10 with bad, badish pitching and terrible defense. It's what like Ole Miss could have been. Yeah, it just – they've played better. I mean, I don't think LSU is much more talented, if at all, um, than Ole Miss. I they just play better, and and Ole Miss has to play better than LSU this weekend because Ole Miss isn't more talented than LSU. I don't think LSU is more talented than them. It'll come down to who plays the best um, in a place that, outside of three years ago, Ole Miss hasn't had a hell of a lot of success. We'll see. It's it's, but it's there for the taking. Um, it's look, this isn't the conversation we thought we were going to have three months ago for sure, but it is an opportunity to to, to get yourselves into a postseason that. I'm sure those kids think they can do damage in, and and it's going to start this weekend. I think this team – I'll put it like this. I think this team is four SEC wins away from making the tournament. Um, Now, that includes the SEC tournament, too. For everyone's, you know, heart monitor, it'd be nice if they didn't have to worry about winning that game on Tuesday in a single elimination format. Uh, format but you know I, I think that's where we are this team is four wins away whether that is over the next two weekends or, or including wins at Hoover now I do think they have to win three over the next two weekends I don't think 12 and 18 would have any realistic shot um, but this team's four wins away um, needing three of them in the next 10 10 or two weekends um, from getting into a tournament that three weeks ago I didn't think they had any shot of no, I mean, I didn't think they would beat Missouri, uh, as, as, as insane as that is. For, but but for just, is this not crazy to you that a week ago we declared this team dead and because – and it's not like we, we're a bunch of idiots, right, because we weren't the only ones doing it. I mean, we are a bunch of idiots. That's yeah, a, I was about to say, I am an idiot, just not in this capacity. Yes, I guess. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is the line of margin is so thin in the SEC that like 14, you might get in 16, uh, you might host. It's, is that not kind of insane how thin the lines are as far as what you have to do to get into the tournament? Oh yeah. I wrote about this on Tuesday, not necessarily to what you're talking about specifically, but I wrote about it in through the lens of the power of a sweep 
like this the sweep is so because the, the the reason that the reason the uh, a sweep particularly in conference play obviously is so powerful is exactly what you're talking about you know look 2 and 1 versus 3 and 0 oh is a huge difference when you look at it through the lens of 16 wins you got a chance to host and 14 wins you're kind of on the bubble probably safe in the tournament but then I mean look we'll go 16 and 13 you know what I mean like 13 wins you're really really on the bubble in most years for the uh, NCAA tournament um, in terms of SEC wins and 16 you're a borderline host you're right the margin for error is kind of insane and that's kind of what makes sweeping so ridiculous I mean look was that 18 or excuse me not 18 I know I've used this example countless times and people are probably tired of it but was that 16 team that good but they swept three times. The 2016 team went 18 and 12 in a very good SEC. Like, yeah, because they swept like Kentucky and some other bad teams, Arkansas. And um, Auburn, if I'm not mistaken, was the third one. That seems right. Yeah. And so that's nine wins. So, I mean, hell, do the math at that point. Um, they were nine and 12 against the rest of the league. I was about to say, you're halfway to 18 in three weekends. Like, that's the power of the sweep. And you're right, the margin for errors are so slim. And that feeds into this larger conversation of there's randomness in this sport. Ole Miss fans aren't accustomed to it because of the way the Mike Bianco era was gone, which honestly has to be one of the more unique college coaching eras in this sport's yeah. history. Um, but there is randomness. And that kind of feeds into the general theme of this podcast is the name of the game. Just get in and see what happens. Like, yes, it sucks they aren't playing on their home field and they haven't uh, lived up to expectations, but just get a ticket to the dance and see where you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all you can ask for at this point. You know, you, you kind of screwed around and we keep using this example, but I think it fits. It's the, it's the college kid that didn't go to class for the first half of the semester. Now you've, uh, you know, you, you, you aced a test last weekend and you made 100 on your homework tonight. Um, and you got a shot. Now, you're going to have to do well again. You're going to have to keep studying. But, but you, you still put yourself in a position that it looks a lot better than it did in February uh, or, I guess, in March. Yeah, you used up the drop test and you failed the other one. And so you have to make a B.A. on that test right before the final just to have a prayer at the final. And I would say at this point, Ole Miss has aced that last test. They've done enough to have a shot at the final. Sure. And I would view the final two weeks of this season as said final exam. Um, the difference between said college student and Ole Miss is they can't write answers on their legs inside their calculator. They're going to have to do it the hard way. Not that I have any experience with that. But that, like, they got a shot. They gave themselves a shot. They put themselves in position. And now we'll kind of see. And kind of bringing it back to LSU a little bit, they're a really good lineup. You knew that as soon as Jay Johnson took over the job and brought a dude named Jacob Berry over there to go in the middle of a lineup that already included Dylan Cruz and Gavin Dugas. But the pitching staff is certainly gettable if the Ole Miss offense hits well. I think this will be the – we talk about what's real and what's not and what's buying back into this team. Don't you think this is the ultimate kind of litmus test for whether this offense has actually turned, a new, turned over a new leaf or they just preyed on terrible – Missouri pitching, they hadn't seen that bad since non-conference play. Like, don't you think this is kind of the perfect litmus test? It's a very average LSU pitching staff. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way to put it. Well, we'll see on this offense this weekend. So they come out and score six and seven and maybe five on Friday and then, you know, are able to put up maybe close to the numbers we thought they were. We'll, we'll see. Um, I, I think that's a great way to put it. This is not a very good LSU pitching staff. 
they're good in a lot of other areas, but the, but this the staff is not one. Um, I believe they'll start Mikel Hilliard in a game, um, and, and I don't, can't recall just off the top of my head there are other two guys that they'll start. But yeah, it's it's a lineup that if Ole Miss's offense is close to the team we thought they would be, that uh, they'll have a shot. Um, and if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're just hopeful that that comes to fruition this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So they're going to go Mikel Hilliard on Friday. Who That's a kid that felt like he's been LSU at LSU forever. He's got some talent. He's not anything over the top in terms of – I mean, look, he's not Jared Poche or Alex Lang, but he's a pretty good weekend starter. I wouldn't necessarily classify him as a Friday guy, like per se, just fitting the mold. But he's certainly a, uh, a more than capable – Friday night arm, particularly in this version of the SEC. He's had some arm trouble. I think it was either last year or two years ago that kind of cost him the season. They're going to go with Blake Money on Saturday, who's – I mean, look, the kid's got a five ERA, you know, struggled with some walk issues in 55 innings. He's certainly susceptible. He's given up a ton of home runs. He's given up 12 home runs in 55 innings. And then they've kind of been a little bit of a revolving door on Sunday – um, but they it feels the last four weeks, and I didn't know this off the top of my head, hand up. But the last four weeks, they've started a kid named Samuel Dutton on Sunday. No relate. I don't know if he's related to the Yellowstone folks, John Dutton or whatever. We'll get into <laughs> relations on that. But um, it feel he's actually had the better numbers over the last month for them. He's been okay, decent Sunday starter, I'd say. But yeah, they're probably going to go unless something crazy changes. They're going to go Hilliard, Blake, Money. And Dutton, but all you need to know about the LSU deal is, is their Saturday guy's a five ERA with a one point three six whip. Yeah, no, I mean Blake Money started out as their Friday guy, um, and and obviously hasn't panned out um, to that, and kind of moved down in the pecking order. Um, no, it's it's not a great great offense, or excuse me, great pitching staff by any stretch of the imagination, um, and and they're not overly great the bullpen either. Um, so wow, she hit that five hundred feet. Um, but no, it's uh. Look, Ole Miss has a shot this weekend. It's not a matchup issue. Ole Miss has played some series this year where things were matchup issues. This is not one. Um, so if Ole Miss plays better than LSU, and, and that's the thing, like Ole Miss at times this year could play well and still lose a series. Um, and then that's the case this weekend too. But you've at, you're at the point of the year where you've got to hope things go your way because all, at the end of the day, all that matters are, are W's and L's at this point. Oh, no, that is – you're right about that. That is absolutely true. It is – it is. what are you going to do for me now? And that's it. The margin for error is certainly uh, certainly gone. But it's – it's. I'll say it is uh, from a content standpoint and really just – like I'm fast I, – I went from – I didn't have much fun watching and kind of covering this team in whatever version of that is that we do now on this podcast. Like, this wasn't a fun one. And you think, yeah, no shit. Like, they're losing. Like, what fun is it covering a losing team? They've had losing teams that were more interesting than this one. This was not that enjoyable. Now they're kind of fascinating in a weird way. In a very strange way, I'm fascinated by it. And, you know, two weeks ago, I didn't think I'd have any sort of interest in this series with two weekends left in the SEC season. But uh, here we are. Um, Lineup-wise, LSU's about as good as they come in the middle of the order. I outlined it earlier. Cruz, Dugas, Jacob Berry. They're really good. And you talk about them being a good litmus test for the offense. The offense is going to need to be good. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll probably, now that I say this, probably eat my words. But I don't think Ole Miss is going to, like, win a 2-1 Dylan DeLucia game and then be set up the rest of the weekend. I think the offense is going to have to be pretty good. I think if Dylan DeLucia, and even Hunter Elliott, if you want to throw him in for that matter, if you get, like, six with four runs on seven hits from DeLucia 
and five kind of the same way, I don't know, three runs, six hits, throw the vice versa. Point being, give you a chance and some length. I think that's about as good as you can ask for because one through, I don't know, you could go all the way down probably to six, all the way to K Doty or whatever. That's as good as a lineup you're going to see in this league. Yeah. Yeah. I just – I know that I will have PTSD watching in Jay, jo- Jay Johnson offense again. I, I, I am fully prepared for uh, me to get sick at how many pitches they fought, fell off this weekend. Oh, you're going to have to watch D- Jacob Berry in a different uniform. That's kind of cruel. <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget. Doug just looking at his dugout being like, guys, what the hell? I should have known at that point, okay, Ole Miss is dead tomorrow. He threw his hands up. I'll never forget that. It's like it's the 80th pitch to get out of the fourth inning, and he just threw his hands up after a non-pitch at bat. And, like, I mean, he kind of looked like that sigh you just had. It was kind of like I need I need a cigarette. Like, <laughs> give me five minutes and a smoke and let me regroup after just what happened. It's going to be a good offense. Um, now, look, they're not as co- anywhere as complete as that Arizona offense. No, it's, a, it's a good offense up and down the order. I mean, look, they got uh, two dudes with an 1,100 OPS and four with a 1,000-plus OPS throughout the year. Like, that's that's getting it done no matter who they played in the non-conference. And so it's going to be a good test. But I think if Ole Miss wins this series, it's because the offense is good in all three games. They don't have to be – spectacular per se, because I do think Hunter Elliott's coming into his own a little bit. I think Deleuze will be more back to the Deleuze from two weeks ago. But you can't have a situational hitting deal like you had the last two games against Arkansas. Like, they're going to have to be good and opportunistic um, for them to have a chance this weekend. No, that's a really good way to put it. Um, the team that's not been great this year with uh, guys on base and moving runners has got to be pretty good at it. Um, you've got to take advantage of opportunities because you know good and well LSU is. Um, I would advise on this being up to, to be up, like, I don't know, seven runs going into the bottom of the ninth or stuff gets weird down there. Um, well, yes, actually, be, be, be up eight. Um, eight, probably the better number. Um, but, look, it's an opportunity. And, and if you had offered Ole Miss this two weeks ago, they would take it. And now you've just got to go make it happen. It's just at that point. Yep, I think that's a good way to put a bow on it. I don't really have anything else to add to this series. Like, it's – it's people are at the ticket counter again, kind of wanting to buy a flyer on this team. It's still a long wow. time that they get in. But can you make people have a reason to believe to buy that ticket and buy the flyer? You know, may not change anything, may be irrelevant. They may go two or through in a regional. But like you keep saying, I just I don't want to see them have a shot. I would like to see them in a regional just to see what happens. Grizz are up 27 at halftime. Yeah, that's one of those weird NBA results, right? It's like the Ewing theory. They lose John Morant for the series. Like, Golden State's winning that thing in six. But, you know, dude, Golden uh, – did you did you know that uh, – I just stumbled over my words there. Uh, Memphis was, I think, 18 or 19 and two without Ja this year in the regular season. I did know that they had played really well without him, yeah. But playoff basketball, a different animal. I just think this – look, Memphis was a good team. And I hate that Ja was not healthy – and all of that, but Memphis was a really good basketball team this year, and like it's not surprising to me they're defending their home court. I'll put it to you that way. Now this is probably in so. The- so as somebody that's been a little bit uh, stressed this week, what what happened with Morant? Oh, he uh he he left game four um, with a. I thought it was a knee injury because they someone made a big deal. A couple of people made a big deal about 
Um, Jordan Poole for the Warriors, kind of grabbing at Morant's knee on a loose ball. I didn't think it was a dirty play. I thought it was just one of those weird basketball things. But actually, uh, Morant ended up with a bone bruise in his foot and is actually out for the rest of the playoffs. Mm, the playoffs? The playoffs. Apparently has a deep bone bruise in his foot. He hasn't been healthy all year um, for the most part. And so he is – I'll say out for all the playoffs. He was doubtful for the remainder of the playoffs. I actually thought that was a very interesting wording uh, injury report. He's doubtful for the remainder of the playoffs. Maybe they don't think they're winning the series. I don't know. And if they win it, he'll be back next round. But it doesn't sound like he's coming back. Okay. All right. Well, I, I knew he'd gotten hurt. I didn't know the, uh, the severity of it. So, um, man, that's tough. I just the, – the, I'm watching the Ole Miss softball game, and the, the score flashed across the bottom. I forgot they even played tonight. And that one, that, that one kind of surprised me. Um, if we have playoffs, sir, I think I'll start picking up about the next round is when I probably start watching on a nightly basis. These playoffs have been awesome. You know how the NBA is usually predictable? This is as wide open of an NBA playoffs as I can remember. And granted, I'm a new NBA fan, but I can kind of remember back six or seven years. But even listen to guys that, like, know, I listen to a ton of NBA podcasts for whatever reason. I just kind of like the theater and how that translates to podcast form. Even guys that have been covering the league a long time, like, this is wide open because you have Luka and Dallas, and they're probably going to lose, and Chris Paul's better. But, like, this Milwaukee-Boston series is insane. Did you – so the game tonight when we got finished wrapping up the first pod, Boston controlled that game and was up double digits most of the game. Milwaukee fought back to tie it with a minute left, and Giannis was down two at the line with 24 seconds left, made the first, missed the second. Three Celtics ran into each other and uh, screwed up the rebound. All three of them hit each other to where the rebound bounced to right to Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis put it back in, and the Celtics ended up – and the uh, Bucks ended up winning game six in Boston because of it. Oh, my God. Yes, so absolutely now, wild series. So, so now so, the Celtics are down 3-2, is that right? Going back to Milwaukee when they had home court advantage. And the Celtics have been the best team in basketball for probably two months now. Oof. That's so, – uh, you don't recover from that, I don't think. No, 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 all-time choke job. They were up – I'll have to go back and look at the number, but this was a – I mean, you'll be – like, you'll read all the stuff tomorrow about, like, a playoff choke. I mean, they were up 12 with, like, three and a half minutes left. And I know the NBA oh gets God. weird, but, like, the playoffs don't get that weird. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's some, part of the reason that I can't watch much of the regular season is I can see a team be up 22 in the second quarter, and then I'll look up with too much regularity, and that, that team has lost the game. Yes, it's – and with the way they sit, guys, now it's kind of gotten absurd. Like when teams like like Sports Center will still post a graphic in like February to where it's like Portland comes back from twenty two down to beat Charlotte. And I'm like, I don't care. So what? Like so? Like what was the score with seven minutes left? Because anything before that doesn't matter. Like it's a nightly occurrence that somebody yeah, blew a twenty five point lead. What are you telling me at this point? So um, if Ole Miss blows a twenty five run lead this weekend, we will certainly have something to talk. I'm about. going to jump off a bridge. <laughs> Let's make some picks before we get sure. out of here as we do every Thursday. It is the penultimate weekend of SEC play. Um, you know, in most years, I feel like we get to this spot and we've been doing this podcast for three years now, and I like to say something like, man, it's gone by fast. I actually don't believe that this year. This no. year felt like an absolute no. marathon. I'm not going to say it's felt like it's gone by fast because that would make me a liar. Um, because we did podcast in March about Ole Miss's, like, national seed chances after they took two or three from uh, Auburn. I mean, that you could have told me that happened pre-COVID. And I'd have been like, yeah, no, that, that checks out. So, <laughs> like, this, this season has felt like an absolute marathon. Um, yeah, it, it 
like I haven't watched a ton. I think this series will be the first time I've gotten to see all three games. Um, so it 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 just feels like they've been playing for about twenty seven weeks now. Because like the the whatever the VCU series feels like like you said pre COVID. Yes. It. Oh my God, the VCU series. I forgot that happened. Um, <laughs> it really has. I almost had the uh, wrong weekend up. I almost picked the last weekend on D one site, and I was like, LSU Vanderbilt. You'd have been perfect. Yeah, that would <laughs> try that with a lot. Try that with the lottery. See what happens. Uh, yeah, that would uh, probably not. What are we doing here? What am I in twenty twenty three? What's going on? All right, here we go. This is great <laughs> podcasting. Um, all right, now we're on the right thing. That took me a second. Um, here's a great series to start off: Kentucky, South Carolina. Oh God, um, I'm gonna go Kentucky because they took Tennessee. They took two from Tennessee, and anybody that does that is got me as a fan, so I'm going to pick the Wildcats. I'm going to go South Carolina because they're decent at home. They have more to play for. I'm going to go South Carolina takes two. Uh, let's see. Ooh, State goes to College Station. Uh, I'll go for and it. And wins at least two. I was about to say, I'm going to go A&M three. Um, State, to me, I can't believe this happened after the Ole Miss State series. State has gone into a free fall. They look like they have waved the white flag. They got beat they're, they're done. Oh, they, they, they are done. They the tournament. Uh, do you think they make Hoover? No, I don't. I, I don't. Like, they have Texas A&M and Tennessee. What is that, two wins max? Uh, maybe I mean, three. Probably go under. If you're setting the over-under yeah. one-and-a-half wins from that, are you going over-under? Oof. So, no, I, I don't think they make Hoover, which makes my parking life easier. Um, does, does that mean – do you think Kentucky or Mizzou gets in then? One of them has to get in, right? Kentucky. And I know Mizzou won that series, but Kentucky's a game ahead, I think. Or, I mean, maybe they're tied. But, um, no, I just think Kentucky's playing better right now. Florida goes to Missouri. Oh, God. Um, Florida's playing well. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. The Gators win two. I am too. Missouri's been okay at home, but uh, that series could get weird. I'd keep an eye out for that one. But um, I think I think Florida too. Florida's playing good baseball. Um, Arkansas hosting Vanderbilt. I'm gonna go Arkansas too. Arkansas looks really yeah. good. Vanderbilt's playing a little bit better baseball. They are. Like, but um, Arkansas seems like they're kind of hitting their stride. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly what I'm going is Arkansas too for sure. Arkansas didn't play well against Ole Miss that weekend. But just if you were only judging Arkansas from the three games they played against Ole Miss, would you say those teams are that far off? I'm not making the comparison that they are, but you know what I mean? Like, it didn't feel like Ole Miss was out of their league that weekend for whatever odd reason. So, you know how I said there's always that team that doesn't play well in the regular season and then they just kind of figure it out and get in the postseason? There's also that team that, like, just – you don't understand how they're good, but they just win baseball games, and it kind of feels like that's Arkansas this year. I don't look at them and be like, oh, that team's special from a talent standpoint. They're not. They just win, and, and that's a credit to them. Not, I'm not trying to discount anything they've done, um, but it uh, they, they don't impress me from a talent and physical standpoint. They impress me because they just keep figuring out how to win baseball games. I think that's a great way to put it um, because, like, I, nothing overly impresses me. But then, like, you look at their numbers, too, and it's like, huh, Connor Nolan's been pretty damn good. Uh, their bullpen's pretty damn good. And then, like, I wasn't impressed by their offense throughout the weekend, but, you know, throughout the rest of, like, most of the year, pretty damn good. So, um, I, uh, I'm i with you on that one. I, for whatever reason, <laughs> someone didn't have Tennessee series, but they played Georgia this weekend. 
in Knoxville. Yeah, Tennessee wins two. I don't think Tennessee's what they were five weeks ago, six weeks ago. I think they've cooled off a little bit. So, win the series, but, but Georgia gets a game. As we pointed out, by the way, when they were just tearing through the league, and look, they're still on a historic run. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's uberly impressive um, what they're doing. But it is a long season, and they kind of looked human last week, right? And that tends to happen. So, like – God, I just – if nothing else happens this postseason, God, please just give me someone going into Lindsey Nelson and winning a Super Regional. I just need that. That would be funny. They are, uh, they are certainly the villain of this sport. Iron Bowl on dirt. Auburn hosting Alabama. I'm going to go Oof. Auburn three. It seems like Alabama is hard. Alabama stinks. Yeah, and like they – I mean, they had that stretch where they swept Ole Miss and they – I mean, earlier in the year that uh, – I can't remember which weekend. I think it was Easter weekend. No, it wasn't Easter weekend. They had one earlier in the year. They should have beaten State two out of three. Like almost yep. swept and they lost. Like I don't know what happened to them. No, they stink, and I think Auburn's good. So, I'm going to go Auburn. Oh, I, said I think I'm going to go Auburn, too, just to be safe. But Auburn definitely, in my opinion, wins that series. Ole Miss LSU. Uh, I picked it on Chase. I'm going to stick with LSU winning, too, just because I got to see more than a win over Southern Miss and a sweep against Missouri before I buy back in on this baseball team. I definitely hope I'm wrong. Um but winning in Baton Rouge isn't easy. I'm picking. I would be picking them to do something they've done once since like 1970, whatever, um, or 80, whatever. But it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't. I don't think I can uh, pick them to win two down there just yet. But to be clear, I, I think they win one, and I think uh, they come into a weekend against A&M the next weekend where they've got to get two, um, and and you got to go to Hoover and win a game at that point. So. Um, Definitely think – I guess I'll put it like this. I think they if, – if I had to guess, they win one, but I think that that keeps them alive from a mathematical standpoint as far as making the tournament. I just zagged you two on Jason Neal – I mean, on Chase's podcast, so I guess I'll just stick with it. I kind of tend to believe exactly what you just said, but whatever. I'll go with Ole Miss, too. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what you call a podcast content pick where you just cross your fingers and hope. Um, <laughs> so, we shall see. Been awesome, dude. I actually didn't think we'd make it to this point, given where we were about a month ago. But uh, we will uh, we will catch up on Sunday. I appreciate the time as always. All right, sounds good, my man. All right, that was Colin Brister. Appreciate his time as always. Good catching up about a uh, relevant baseball series again. It's uh, been a while since that happened. So we'll catch up with him on Sunday for our usual Sunday baseball conversation. Um, but before we get out of here, it is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday has returned. Once more, it is time to get to your questions. Let's roll. All right, here we go. Who's the leadoff hitter this week for Mailbag Friday? Brent Ferguson leading off this week. Now we have two weeks left in the regular season. I must ask again, over under .5 homers for Ben Van Cleve. I am so glad someone revisited this. We cannot forget our season over under total of Ben Van Cleve. Colin, I believe, when we did our season preview, just – scoffed at the notion and said, yeah, I think Ben Van Cleve is going to get him a home run or two this year. Wrong. We are still on Ben Van Cleve watch. And uh, I got to tell you, whether this team makes a regional seems kind of irrelevant at this point because the main storyline is singles hitter Ben Van Cleve and whether he'll hit one over the fence. I don't love his chances, honestly, at bats are limited. I think he should play more, actually. I can't believe I'm saying that after some of the things I said earlier in the year. But, you know, with this offense, he doesn't strike out. Um, he's clearly kind of a uh, – a key voice on a team that I think needed it at times, and he puts the ball in play. So 
You know what? I'll say it. I think Ben Van Cleve gets a home run in the last two weeks. Over 0.5. Cash it in. It's just he's just playing the he's he's teasing the masses. He's waiting. He's building up the drama. He delivers for the people. I think he hits one in the next two weeks. So we're on Ben Van Cleve watch. Man, anytime he hits a fly ball to the warning track, all of our collective hearts stop. The entire country stops. I think Sports Center pans into whatever game Ole Miss is in. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Over .5 for Ben Van Cleve, I'm calling it. Caleb Saylor's checking in here. Who would be your first candidate to take the Ole Miss baseball job if five happens to be shown the door? Um, I really wouldn't – I wouldn't have much of a – I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I don't, wouldn't have much of a preference. I think Butch Thompson or Dan McDonald would be slam dunk home run hires. Um, I guess I'd slightly lean Dan McDonald just because of the familiarity, the track record of how he recruited in-state kids when he was here. But Butch Thompson, Amory, Mississippi guy, a really, really good baseball coach that's built a great program at Auburn that has really no advantages at all. I mean, it's the same program as Ole Miss just, uh, with – except without kind of the lack of funding, right? Stadium interest, all that. In terms of like scholarship advantages and money and all that. Um, for getting players, it's the same job, and he's done one hell of a job. So I don't think you could go wrong with Butch Thompson or Dan McDonald. It's really 1A, 1B. Um, and, you know, if someone was like but, make a Butch argument and another person made a McDonald argument, I'd just say, okay, I get both of them. So I'd give you two answers there for the price of one. That's what we do on this podcast. Kyle Wilson, hard shell tacos or soft shell tacos? Good question. I like a hard shell taco, um, but I don't, ha- I don't dislike the soft shell guy uh, either. It really just kind of depends on what I'm feeling in the moment. But I'd say, you know, like we have a cafeteria at work and we do tacos or so. I'd probably say about once a week for lunch, maybe a little once every couple of weeks. Once a week for lunch would be tough on the, uh, tough on the DARPRO solutions up. In, uh, interior plumbing there but that, that's neither here nor there point being I'm going for the hard shell taco probably 75 percent of the time but I like the soft shell as a nice mix-up every now and again um, I'm not going to turn this into some hard stance that you know if you if you like soft shell tacos then you're a cereal killer or something I like both of them I think they're both delicious I just kind of prefer a little crunch um, a late night go-to at Taco Bell the Doritos Locos um, Probably would never eat that unless I'd been out on the town, uh, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. But uh, something about that late at night, hard shell Doritos Loco is pretty good. I'm going hard shell taco most of the time. Well, let's see. Keeping it moving here. Ben Johnson, PGA picks. Two words, Chad Ramey. Next question. No, I actually think Chad Ramey has a good shot to win it. I'm pumped to see a Mississippian uh, play in a major. Chad is in the PGA Championship because he won the PGA Tours Dominican event, the off-series event, I believe, to the match play. I can't remember what was going on that week when Chad won the Dominican event, but it was some kind of world golf championship, I think. Um, but as far as PGA picks, I don't know. How could you go against Scotty Scheffler at this point? Um, Cam Smith would be another one. I don't necessarily love – I hate to overanalyze Tiger and his health thing, but I don't love him at having to get up and down at Southern Hills for four days. Um, after kind of seeing his body wear down the third and fourth day at Augusta. But, hey, I'm not counting out Tiger Woods. Uh, you can, I can promise you that. But um, I'll go Cam Smith, um, Scotty Scheffler. This feels very speethish. I don't really have a good explanation for that. And then I will go – I don't even really know what a wild card would be. Hmm. It's a pretty classic PGA championship. Set up. I mean, 
I don't know, Patrick Cantley. I mean, that guy's like the number two ranked player in the world. So anyway, I just gave you all favorites. But those are the guys I like at the PGA Championship. I'll probably have different picks next week. Um, I'm headed out to the Byron Nelson after I record this to go watch one Hayden Buckley. Maybe he'll win and get in the PGA. That would be sick. Um, but uh, if you see a guy in the crowd, Buckley tee shot, maybe goes in the woods, bounces off a guy's forehead back in the fairway, that is me. I will literally take a Pro V1 to the temple to get my man an extra fairway in regulation today. So he's got an added boost. If you're listening to this before he tees off at 1220, maybe throw him in a little three ball action. I will make that happen. All right. Anyway, keeping it moving. Shop, shop two friends. I don't understand these internet names, man. Um, right, anyway, checking in here. Let's talk football. I'd like to see someone, parentheses, namely Rippy, that would, uh, that would be me, to help our fan base pump the brakes because Matt Corral is not dressing out. We have some real roster talent, but the, our QBs are so green. Hard to win 10 games with inexperienced QBs. We won some close games thanks to Matt. So you, all of those things can be true at once, and they are. Um, but I also think there is reason for um, optimism, I guess, whatever the opposite of pumping the brakes is. You're right. Matt Corral won. Ole Miss won a bunch of close games because they had number two and the other team didn't last year. I mean, that was a seven and five, eight and four roster, and Matt Corral willed them to 10 and two at times. I'm not contesting that. I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, I made the argument, I think, with Weldon back in December before we knew who like Ole Miss would have at quarterback and kind of, well, actually, it was probably after the transfer portal thing, but like I was basically arguing there is a world where they have a better roster next year and are every bit is quote unquote good, but still go like eight and four, just because it's hard to go 10 and two. And you have a couple coin flip games go the other way. Ole Miss basically had every single coin flip game go in its favor, right? They got blown out at Alabama and, you know, Corral gets injured at Auburn receivers. He's throwing to walk-ons and that game didn't end up being close. They won every single close game last year. And it's largely because of Corral, but I will say the roster is better this year. I think they have more talent on the offensive and defensive side of the football than they did last year. I think they're better on the defensive line. I think they have a chance to be better on the offensive line. I'm a little concerned about the depth, but they're going to have a real pass rush. They're going to have SEC level depth. I think they'll be fine at linebacker. And if the secondary is 75% of what they gave them last year, they're going to be a pretty good defense. And they got better at every other skill position, you know, except quarterback. That seems like TBD. Um, on the offensive side of the ball. And so while I understand like pump the brakes, yes, it's hard to replace Corral. They have a lot of talent on that on both sides of the football and the schedule sets up well. I mean, they go their four non-conference games, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and then play the West. So if you're talking about a quarterback being green, I think the quarterback battle is going to extend into the season. Um, just with the way the schedule sets up, I think you're going to see Luke Altmeyer and Jackson Dart take reps in the first couple games. Um, I think they'll try to decide on one by, say uh, – let me pull up the schedule real quick. I think by the time they go to Georgia Tech in week three, they'd like to have a guy. Um, but point being, if they find that guy, they're still going to have three, four games to get his feet wet. You get Kentucky at home and at Vanderbilt. If Ole Miss can't win both of those games and they were never sniffing ten wins or whatever you think they can do ceiling-wise next year – Anyway, and so while, yes, they're green, the schedule sets up perfectly to kind of ease in a new quarterback and kind of make him less green by the time he faced the gauntlet that is the SEC West. It Ole Miss literally plays the SEC West to finish the season. Um, so I get it. I could see how this team would go eight and four and kind of every, be every bit as good or technically like maybe even better roster and talent-wise than last year. But, man, I think they got a shot. If they can get the quarterback thing down, it seems like everything else is in place.
follow it up here. If we take a big step back in 2022, I hope our fan base doesn't sour on Lane. He's the best thing to happen on Miss football in a long time. Yeah, barring like six and six or something, I don't think the and I don't think that would be fair even if they went six and six. I don't think souring on Kiffin is going to happen. 2023 team should be loaded for a run and armed with an experienced quarterback. No, you're right there. I think you're exactly right. There is a chance maybe they take a step back, but I think there's also a chance they're every bit as good again just because of the reasons I outlined. So I can see both sides of it. It's going to be a fascinating football season, and man, am I glad Ole Miss is relevant in football again. Appreciate the question. Weird internet names checking in here. I'm surprised you and Colin didn't discuss the small ball that Mike used versus Mizzou last week. I believe they did it twice and it actually worked over under 1.5 sack bunts this weekend in Baton Rouge. We'll all, we will all know when five is nervous, the bunt is on. Okay. You're probably right there. We might have a, a nervous cigarette bunt from Mike Bianco. I like that you use the theory I've outlined on the podcast before that Mike Bianco bunts in big situations. Like other people need nicotine guy goes out and smokes cig when he's nervous, kind of unwind. Um, to be completely honest and fair to Colin, he was coaching last weekend, so I think he only caught parts of all three games. I'll be honest, I wasn't as locked in last week because I didn't want to waste another weekend watching SEC Network Plus at my house instead of doing fun things with the with a baseball team going nowhere. So uh, I remember one of the sack bunts. I don't remember the other one, but um, I'll go under one and a half sack bunts this week, unless it's a situational thing. Um, I think Mike's kind of graduated past that, but hey, maybe uh, – Maybe he has a lapse and, you know, needs to light up a menthol. So, anyway, we'll go under one and a half bunts this weekend. Uncle Rico checking in here. Bianco strikes me as a guy that likes Cracker Barrel way too much. Okay, so not a question. Just a statement of fact. Well, I say statement of fact. Statement of opinion. Sure. Um, if I asked Mike Bianco if he liked Cracker Barrel, he would probably think there's some ulterior motive to that. If I asked him why this, if, if he thought the sky was blue today or what the weather was, he would think there's an ulterior motive too. But um, I'll look into that. I don't know. Maybe he likes Cracker Barrel. I could see him getting just irrationally angry about the little tea game, you know, the little tea thing that you do at Cracker Barrel, try to get to one tea left or whatever it is. Um, I could see him just getting really pissed at that and that ruining his pancakes by the time they get there because he can't figure that out, yelling at the waitress like it's her fault, um, just being a maniac in the Cracker Barrel, not loving the general store you have to walk through. But, um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'll look into it. Clay Bermuda checking in here. What movie star slash actor gets you in the theater regardless of movie? Yeah, I got to have a confession. I'm not a movie guy. I, I like movies. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, like – anti-watching movies I cannot remember the last time I've been in a movie theater though and I don't get like excited for like movies to come out I can't tell you what movies are about to come out or which actors are in which that's just not really my thing I get the appeal um actually kind of like the uh what's that Adnan Verk is a big cinephile is that what you call it I don't want to make it sound like something uh, dirty I forget what it's called but movie heads whatever you want to call them I kind of appreciate like the wealth of knowledge they have and their like appreciation and ability to break down movies I don't have that. I like movies that make me laugh. Um, I still will go back and watch like Step Brothers, Wedding Crashers, Dodgeball, <laughs> um, The Hangover, like all those classic ones from like the 20, 2000s to 2010s that you really don't get that kind of comedy anymore for a variety of reasons that make me laugh. Um, I like other movies. I'm very specific. I kind of like watch the same movies over and over again. But I don't have a good answer for this. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I like uh, – Jason Bateman, but he seems like a TV guy now. Um, I'm trying to think who else I like as an actor. Yeah, I really – I don't know. Um, 
I don't have a great answer. So there's really not a movie star or actor that gets me in the theater or the TV. If the movie's going to make me laugh, I'll go see it. Or if it's some, some storyline, like I like true story movies that I'm interested in. Like if I kind of know the background, um, but outside of that, I'm just not a huge movie guy. Maybe I'll get a movie guy on and we can discuss uh, my lack of knowledge in movies. What's up with the movie questions this week? We've got Daniel Hill checking in here. You're the main star of one movie franchise, but the rest of your movies you make are total flops. Which movie franchise are you signing to be a part of? Does a franchise, that mean a movie company or just like a series? Um, the Batman movies seem to make a bunch of dope. No, James Bond. James Bond is my answer. So um, it'd be cool to be James Bond, walk around in a suit, shanking folks, shooting guns and stuff. That seems pretty awesome. I do like the James Bond movies. That actually might get me to a theater. Um, I'm not like, holy hell, I got to go to the midnight premiere of James Bond stuff. But like, I, like, that would be something that would draw me to a theater. So we'll combine the two questions in one here. I do like the James Bond movies. Um, that said, I couldn't tell you who the current James Bond is. Is it Daniel Day-Lewis? I don't know. Anyway, um, but I'll go James Bond as the answer to this question. Bo Nilla stopping by the podcast here. Who would win in a fight in the old Forester's parking lot, drunk Chad Kelly or drunk Matt Corral? I mean, if there's no weapons involved, I'm probably going Corral. But, I mean, if Chad Kelly whips out the AK, I mean, it's not really a fair fight. Uh, fist fight, though, I'll go Corral if there's no weapons involved. Will Eubank, what color are mirrors? Whoa. We're good for one of these a week. I don't know. What do you mean, what color are mirrors? It's a reflection of yourself. Oh. I'm copping out. I'm colorblind. I have red, green colored effect. I'm copping out on this, uh, on this question. So anyway, I, uh, yeah. Is that all the mailbag Friday questions? Then no, we got one more Douglas Pearson. Since you were a movie aficionado, if a movie was made about the, that epic night in the Raider dome, soon to be Jan Sojourner Corp, who would play you <laughs> and who would be the concerned the hero or the villain Oh man. Um, who would play me? Can it be me? I would love to play myself and relive that moment. Um, I don't know about an actor. You'd be better off going to find like a horse jockey, at the Kentucky Derby, if you're trying to get the body frame. Correct. Uh, I don't know who would play me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Justin Bieber. If he dyes his hair Brown, get him in the thing. Well, uh, Zach Efron action from uh, whatever that movie was where he played the basketball guy um back in the 2000s <laughs> i could see that who would be the uh villain i mean the hero would obviously be me i mean i caused a full-on riot i gave the people what they wanted they stormed the court people were crying um i inspired an entire mass of people that night so i'm obviously the hero not to pat myself on the back the villain pillow academy they were trying to shut me down i actually know the guy now who was playing a uh, lock on d with five minutes to go in a 40 point game not uh not allowing the people to see what they wanted. And that was me to drop 30 in 10 minutes. Um, so the villa, villain, Pillow Academy, absolutely. Maybe make the, co the opposing coach a villain. Hell, maybe make Bill Ball the villain. He didn't love putting me in those games. But uh, I am absolutely the hero in that. We'll look into making a mockumentary or some sort of movie about that. That would be absolutely uh, – that would probably be a box office flop, but I would enjoy it. Um, so, anyway, great question to end this Mailbag Friday. That was uh, – Terrific, terrific wrap-up question. Did I miss any? No, I don't think I missed any. Um, oh, I always miss them. Yeah, we got two more. Sorry, uh, false alarm there. Terrific question still. Who wins the Stanley Cup? I'm going to go Colorado Avalanche just because they absolutely bulldoze my Nashville Predators 
uh, the other night. So I'll go Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. What's your ideal sandwich? Juan asks. Um, the sandwich when you come in late at night and you just throw everything on it. I mean, you know, we've all been there before, right? You get two pieces of bread. You really you're like you're at the point of losing motor skills, stumbling around the kitchen. You just throw anything on the sandwich. That sandwich always tastes good. Then you wake up the next morning and you're like, I put what on what in between two pieces of bread? All-time terrific sandwich. If you're asking for a serious answer, hard to beat a nukes cue. Um, one of the things I miss about Mississippi is there's no nukes in Dallas. There's like a couple in Fort Worth and kind of around in the suburbs, um, but there's no none like in the city. So, man, I, have, I haven't had nukes in quite a while. So, nukes cue. Uh, Eight-time self-proclaimed employee of the month there, not to brag, uh, in high school. But uh, nukes cue, very good sandwich. Love a classic club, but I'm going to go with that midnight sandwich when you come in from whatever activities that night and just throw a bunch of things in between two pieces of bread. Maybe throw it in the microwave despite not having any sort of microwavable substance on the sandwich. And then uh, you just wake up the next one. Maybe some chips in the middle of the sandwich. And then you just wake up with the full stomach wondering what in the hell you actually ate the night before. That's going to do it for Mailbag Friday. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, Always love getting back to Mailbag Friday. Colin and I will be back with the Sunday show. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your day at always. I really appreciate it. I love the feedback. And uh, we'll be back on Monday.